Welcome to the Training Design Podcast. 45 minutes-ish of practical tips and insights on training design with me, Terry Pierce of Untold Play. And me, Sheridan Webb of the Training Designers Club. Okay, so today we are going to talk about the very um, broad concept of design thinking. And it is a broad concept and it can be quite difficult, I think, to define. And when I first came across the concept a few years ago, I did expect it to be something completely new, um, a brand new way of approaching things, a brand new way of doing things. And in many ways, it isn't. Um, but it can be quite difficult to get your head around. So, um, Terry, how do you get your head around design thinking? I think it's actually a really interesting question, Sheridan, because for me, design thinking is a state of mind. It's in the title, if you actually look at it, it's in design thinking. It's not design methodology. It's not design process. So it's not a process. It is about a way of thinking. And actually, if you found that it wasn't that new to you, it might well be that you've been design thinking to some extent all along. Uh, I think, I think you know, that's certainly true for me when I first came across it, that I actually kind of naturally think in some of these ways. But yeah, I think it is about a state of mind. Uh, I think there, yes, there are some models and we'll talk about some of them. But for me, it's more about principles. And if, if we think of it as that thing of a state of mind, it's actually a state of mind or a way of thinking, which is not kind of artistic and not scientific, but somewhere in the middle, it's trying to be quite structured and analytical in the same way that science is, but also quite imaginative and creative in the same way that kind of artistic thinking is. So it's yeah. trying to marry those two together. It's, that, that's really interesting because in all the years I've been helping other people to design training, my, my, oh, something I regularly say is it's part art and it's part science. Absolutely. So yeah. yes, we do need that. We do need some scientific rigor in there, but just following a process is not going to create a great training course. Mm. Equally, we can't just think great thoughts and it's going to be amazing. We do have to have the balance, don't we? Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that I've heard people bring in now, which is quite relevant is kind of business metrics and business needs. So in some ways you can think of design thinking as trying to synthesize what's desirable to people and aesthetically pleasing and so on, what's viable kind of technically and what makes sense, but also then uh, what, sorry, what's feasible technically and what makes sense, yeah. but also what's viable economically and for business. Mm. Yeah. And I think because it is perhaps quite a broad concept, why it can be quite difficult to get your head around but you did say that there are um, some specific principles associated with it. So I'm sure I've read about these in the past, but can you remind me, Terry, and remind the listeners what those principles are? Definitely, although there's no agreed list for sure. I mean, one of the things about it being a way of thinking is it's, it's a very kind of uh, loosely collected set of things. And certainly in terms of principles, it depends on who you ask. Some of the ones that really stand out for me are human-centered. We hear a lot of people talk about that, I think, yeah. and, and putting the a uh, person who is going to use whatever you're designing at the center of things and having empathy with them. So maybe a first one for me. Uh, and the empathy we'll talk a lot about. I think that's, that's huge. Um, second one maybe is about uh, kind of embracing failure uh, and ambiguity and not trying to, uh, you know, chart and, and have a scheme for everything at the start and plan everything out, but to, to try things as you go along and learn from failure as you go along. That That's quite an interesting one. And obviously mm. when you're talking about embracing failure, you're talking about as we create a learning solution, not as we deliver that solution. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole point of design thinking really is you shouldn't get to that stage with something that's going to fail because you've had lots of mini tries in the meantime. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
and I think as um, you know, in recent times, as as the L and D function has had to um, reevaluate how it does things, because obviously we we had face to face pretty much taken away from us. I think there perhaps has been a little bit more um, adventurous spirits going on there. People have been willing, I think, to put themselves out there and try things that maybe they wouldn't have tried before because, I don't know, maybe the expectation is, is, is not to succeed all of the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. Uh, I think you've also got a little bit of a shorter kind of loop going on there, which is quite mm. in tune with design thinking. So, you know, you can try stuff out, you'll get some fairly immediate feedback and you'll be able to think about how well it's gone. Yeah, yeah, you do get, definitely get immediate feedback when you're using technology. <laughs> So human-centered design, embracing failure. I feel like I cut you off. Um, there's, there's always no, more than two. Yeah, no, there's a magic to threes, isn't there? I'd, I'd say show, don't tell. Uh, so, you know, when, when we're going through a design process and we might have stakeholders or people that we need to uh, take through our, th- our thinking, then always about showing, not telling. So, for instance, the idea of prototyping that we'll talk about later, you know, rather than saying, okay, this is what the final solution will achieve, you build a mini version of it and you show it to people. And I guess that engages people's people emotionally, doesn't it? Um, which can sell an idea much more easily than just going through a whole load of facts and figures. Yeah, definitely. And get much more valuable feedback as well. Yeah, yeah, get that good reaction to it. Okay, so quite broad um, principles there. And, and I'm definitely on, on board with all of those. Um, I think the trouble with principles is it's, it's like, so what? What do we do with them? If we're going to use design mm-hmm. thinking in our, in our learning design, I mean, we're used to processes, aren't we? We're used to processes like Addy. Um, I'm a huge fan of master, as you know, when I design mm-hmm. learning events. So is, is one macro and one micro? I mean, how do they fit together? Well, I think the principles are most important to design thinking because it's, as we said, thinking but I think, yeah, people do want a kind of practical set of how-tos. Uh, and there's definitely some of those around in design thinking. Um, I do think that sometimes people being hungry for those actually makes people focus on those and think that they are design thinking. And that's sometimes the problem. I think when people talk about it, they think that, oh, here's a five-step process. That's yeah. design thinking. But Yeah, you know, that's I, just... I, I can see myself being guilty of that, actually. I think because... Because we, we want to get on with it. Um, and it's all, we're all, always are, I think, looking for the shortcuts, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly yeah. in commercial environments where everything seems to be up against a deadline. Yeah. So I think, you know, we have to keep that in mind as we, as we talk about processes and how it fits. I think, you know, because of all of that, design thinking is quite, uh, as a discipline, maybe is quite distressful of process and likes kind of iteration. So if you are going to have a process and you want lots of uh, cycling back, on earlier phases or flexibility to to move between the phases as you like rather than a kind of one, two, three, four. And I think for that reason, Addy is definitely not a great fit with design thinking because Addy is quite kind of, uh, you know, top down, we'll do everything, you know, the opposite of agile really. So uh, in particular, because learning and development has, has had this history with Addy, I think that's where sometimes design thinking hasn't made as many inroads there as it might elsewhere. Mm. But for me, Addy is, it's not a model that, that I subscribe to a lot because it's so top line. Mm. Um, and it's, I mean, it makes perfect sense and all the rest of it, but it seems to be used more in e-learning development, I think, rather than learning experience design, which is where you and I tend to work. But yeah, it is that, um, yeah, the, the, the process side of it. We're used to that, aren't we? But what you said there about the agile, I would think design thinking um, fits more with an agile approach Absolutely. to L&D. 
yeah definitely definitely i mean yeah it's very it very much dovetails with that and you get people who who uh would use both within the same project very easily definitely mm. there are models though and they can be really useful uh, a couple of them i'm planning to talk about today uh, maybe the simplest of the two is the double diamond so that's the idea of divergent and convergent thinking and kind of doing that in a, in, in a little bit of a structured way. So starting off in the problem phase by discovering and diverging your thinking and thinking, okay, what are all the different things we need to know? And then converging your thinking again down to, okay, which of, which of them are important? How can we think about them? And that gives us our kind of problem definition and our design brief. And then developing uh, and delivering the actual solution is again, divergent and convergent thinking thinking what are all the possible solutions and then diverging down to okay what's the one that's gonna best meet our design challenge and you know i i love that double diamond um so there's an awful lot of stuff related to to design thinking out there and that one i thought yes that makes total sense to me and when i'm working with other learning designers who struggle with design and it seems to take them forever and they, you know that why is it taking me so long it, it is often because they start with the convergent thinking. Mm. Um, they go, you know, straight line, and but then they suddenly have all these other ideas pop up, and, and they end up going down side roads and then going backwards. And whereas if we get all our ideas out up front and then make a conscious, do a conscious pruning, almost, um, then we know. No, we've thought about that. We've dismissed it. Now we know what we're doing, and I just think it's a really good discipline to get into. Definitely. Um, as part of your design process yeah no, i think it's hugely useful and it's something when i came across it uh, you know I, I felt that it put together really nicely something that i'd been uh, some kind of set of conclusions that i'd been reaching by myself for a while but yeah i think it's really useful it is also i think relatively uh simple though and you know as i think is part of the core of design thing that's probably why i like it <laughs> There's, there's other slightly more kind of complex ways, I guess, or, or certainly with, with more steps, which uh, I think sit nicely alongside it. I think if you, one of the great things uh, to get yourself into the mo- mindset of design thinking, I think, is not to just uh, uh, identify one and stick to that, but try and mix a few different approaches because then you're not too fixed on any, any one kind of flow. Mm. So the other really popular one is the kind of five-step one of empathize, define, ideate prototype and test and i know when you just list stuff like that on an audio on a podcast people are like, okay uh, i'm going to put a, an, a note in the uh, in the show notes so that people yeah, can, it, can have a look it doesn't at visual. make an acronym i've written it down terry it no, doesn't make an acronym doesn't. but um, i'm hoping that you're just going to expand on each of those a little bit for us yeah well <laughs> i think maybe when we get to the kind of real how to bit then maybe we should could use that as a as a, as a structure okay um but just as a little kind of example and and talk, talk about what, what each is supposed to mean with reference to an example the empathize is, is, is perhaps, I think, one of the most important ones to differentiate from what we just talked about with a double diamond because Discover was, had no reference necessarily to trying to put yourself in the person's shoes who you're designing mm-hmm. for. That could just be about kind of research and analysis. Right. And that's not really what design thinking is about. So the empathize is about really, by many ways, trying to put yourself in that person's shoes and feel what it's like. So is this where um, I use the terminology create an avatar? Is that? Yeah, that would, would definitely that fit into there. Would, it could definitely fit into there. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got your device, uh, sorry, define 
problem, uh, yeah. which, yeah, you know, is, is relatively traditional in terms of really saying, well, what is the problem? Uh, there's some really good phrasing, which is often used in design thinking. So how might we, how might we do Oh, that's a great that? question, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I only came across that recently. It's brilliant. Yeah. So that's how we might define. And then we've got ideate, which is our coming up with ideas, our kind of brainstorming and similar kinds of things. But then we get this thing where, again, it's not supposed to be a linear thing. So empathize, define, and then ideate can often be quite linear, but we could move back and forth between them. Mm -hmm. And then definitely the last couple kind of prototype and test is about moving really fluidly between, okay, we've got an idea, let's prototype it by building, like we were saying, showing something, and let's test it out. And then maybe let's go back to the prototype or go back to a new idea and move it around between those threes. Mm. So if I can just maybe just maybe try and bring it to life with a tiny little example. Yes, please do. Um, design thinking it happens all over the place. And I think if we look for it all over the place and we look for opportunities to use it ourselves, not just in learning design, that's great. So for instance, my hobby is climbing, or one of my hobbies, indoor climbing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't get much of a chance to do it these days because, uh, yeah, an indoor climbing gym, and I've only really done indoor so far. Uh, I will right. do the outdoor one day, but there you go. Yeah. Um, but on, the in- on indoor climbing gyms and on bouldering, you get these kind of what they call bouldering problems. So you get the, these kind of short things where you don't use a rope and there's maybe 10, 15 holds. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a problem because there's, there's a right way to do it. And if you're going uh, to complete it, then you've got to use a good blend of technique and smarts uh, and physicality to, to, to mm-hmm. make the right set of moves to get to the top. Now, you actually design a solution to that problem in your head if you're, if you're doing it well, I think. And you use a kind of design thinking. So yep. I stand there at the bottom of a bouldering route and I think, okay, I've got to empathize with me as I'm doing that. Or maybe I'm watching someone else doing that. I'm thinking, okay, where is he or she struggling? Yeah, they, they look like they're at full stretch. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if I've already tried the route and failed, then actually my empathy is, okay, what was I feeling like? What was difficult? So I'm really trying to put myself in the shoes of myself at each move during the mm. route. And then, okay, so define the problem. Okay, so which one is the really crucial, the difficult one? Or is it about doing it quickly because you haven't got enough stamina to get to the top otherwise? Something like this. So what is the real problem here? And then IDA, oh, I could try it that way. I could try just balancing on that hold, or I could try just stretching across to that hold, or I could try just, you know, putting my bum on that hold or something. (laughs) Trying different ideas, maybe some of them a bit weird. But um, then prototyping by, okay, well, can I try it out? Uh, you know, maybe sometimes I might even go to the middle of the route, uh, which isn't a legal move, but it might, it's, it's just me trying, okay, hold number four and hold number five. And then, okay, that didn't work. So little prototypes and testing them and then maybe having to go back to drawing board and have another idea. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a, a strange example in a way, but I chose it because uh, I think, you know, it's quite uh, visual and, and easy to visualize and shows how design thinking actually, you're designing all kinds of things every day, really. Yeah, just you were talking there. I think it, it when when you explain it like that, it does apply to so many things in mm. life. Yeah. Um. I mean, my son is um, he loves to cook and bake. Mm. Um. And he will make his own recipes up. He'll, he will do his research. He knows the sort of thing that he wants to make. Um. But then he actually is fourteen. He goes and does his own. Um. <laughs> he makes he made amazing hobnobs yesterday. Honestly, they are out of this world. And I said, "What recipe did you use?" He said, "A bit of that one, a bit of that one, and a bit of my own." Brilliant. Um, so you know, obviously he, not consciously, 
but he mm. obviously did think about what might happen if I put this in instead. What mm. might you know? So then, but what if um, I did that? And so he obviously did go through that process. Yeah, hopefully he empathised with his audience and thought about whether he liked hobnobs at all and so on. Well, yeah, because <laughs> well, well, one of them had had coconut in it, and I don't like <laughs> coconut, so obviously didn't put it in. <laughs> Good stuff. So yeah, it's that, that's interesting how you put it like that. And because I know that design thinking tends has come from, as you say, more product uh, development um, rather than L and D. But it's mm. something that the L and D community have sort of identified as being something that could be useful to us. Um, and I think we all agree that it is useful to us. But is it really used as much as it could be? Um, I don't think so. I think. I think it's interesting you talk about that, that that kind of difference there. I think what you've got in a lot of sectors that do use design thinking and use it really well is you've got a really quite quick kind of turnaround of ideas to putting something to action and to getting feedback on it. And that feedback being quite telling, as in the number of sales that we made or the number of users we gained or lost or something like that. Yeah. So that actually you get a, a real kind of selection pressure in, in, a, in a real kind of, you know, the same way as in uh, natural selection in, in, in the animal kingdom and so on. You know, the ones that don't do it well, the ones that have bad designs will die. Mm. Um, and I think in learning and development, maybe don't quite get that as much. You know, we've got a, a, a big evaluation problem in learning and development. I think a lot of the time, a lot of people don't really carry out evaluation well, or it takes a long time. And then you've got extra layers, you know, you, you're delivering a solution to learners, but then they're going out and applying it. And that's where the success is. And, you know, drawing all those lines, I, I think that this, the selection pressures are not as great. And therefore, um, you, you get less of a kind of, you know, the real cream rising to the top uh, and others dying off. Yeah. And I think as well, there's, I mean, as an external training provider going in, um, people do employ us because they think we can provide the answer from mm. the off you know so they're not paying us to try out lots of different ideas mm. and they want us to go in with a solution that will work but i think even for internal l d teams um you know i've worked with you know a number of large organizations and even though they're probably quite a large team um they're still under time pressure to deliver things so you know it, and it is this balance as i think we mentioned just earlier about how does that fit with agile mm. so if we want a solution quickly we don't always have time to try all these different ideas out and to be really creative and be really inventive so i think i think sometimes like i said the commercial pressures um push us too far the other way mm, that's quite interesting actually i think that that can definitely happen and i think it's all about where you draw the lines it's like okay so the end of the project is here so you've got to get a result by then Whereas perhaps sometimes in a business, which is, you know, and they say Apple are marketing their iPhone. Mm. Well, they know they're going to have 10 different models of the iPhone, even if you count the commercially released one, never mind the ones that they just prototyped. Um, so it's more of an ongoing process where they do expect to kind of not have it perfect necessarily every time, but then to build on it next time. Mm. So this sort of continuous improvement mm. is... Um, it is part of it really. And it's, mm. yeah, it's, so it's, it is linked to evaluation in some ways for us. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, and that, and that goes back to some of our principles for design thinking, you know, we, we want to uh, embrace failure because it's an opportunity to learn, but if we don't really get that opportunity to learn because the failure doesn't give us good data or insight, then it's hard to do. 
and, and we don't like the word failure <laughs> so, because yeah. um, you know thinking about how many management development programs I've written in my time and each one is an improvement on the last mm. it oh, no, or it's different because obviously different clients not everything is relevant but it, it doesn't mean to say that the last one failed um, because it probably works perfectly well it's just that since designing that one and since rolling it out I've spotted a way of doing something better um, so it, it's it's not necessarily about saying we have failed. It's about saying, and we have learned from, and, you know, the, the kids at school, they use even better if, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in many ways, I think, you know, uh, I wanted to go on a little bit and talk about kind of examples of, of, of where I've used design thinking yeah, in practice. Yeah, please do. And, and one, of, one of the big ones really links back to that is, is how it grew organically for me. It was um, with courses that were running for years. So you were talking about, you know, good learning and development people learn from their mistakes and are open yeah. to doing that. I think when I've had a course that's run more or less with similar kinds of audiences, perhaps over many clients, uh, over many different kinds of industries. So if I take, for example, uh, I've got a, a one-day uh, recruitment stroke interviewing skills course, which, you know, mm -hmm. I'll change it bits and pieces and then certainly done very specific versions for people who were happy to, to have real bespoke stuff. But I've also been, worked on projects where people are like, well, we want this set of stuff. We want these uh, objectives. These are our audience. And I'm like, well, that's pretty much the same as when I've used this course with other people. So I'm not going to make wholesale changes to it. Yeah. So you've got this. And I think most people who've worked in uh, L&D over many years have probably got a couple of kind of courses or bits of courses like that, where they, you know, this, this thing has actually naturally gone through this process of iteration because yeah. you designed it as best you could first time. But then that kind of ideation and prototyping and testing naturally has gone through a number of cycles. You've tried it out in practice. This bit worked really well. This bit didn't so much. And you constantly, continuously improve and update. Um, and because, you know, again, if we're thinking in terms of those five, the empathy doesn't really need too much revisiting if it's often the same thing. So managers who have got gaps in their interviewing skills, you know, I often find it's very similar uh, gaps. Yep. And the problem, you know, for the organization is often very similar in terms of not being able to get the best people or make the best decisions or falling into uh, difficulties with, uh, you know, being uh, fair and having equality and diversity legislation. So those two things stay relatively similar and we're able to just cycle between IDA, prototype, test and get it better and better and better over time. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably experienced something similar to that yourself. Yes, definitely. And it's... Um it's a little bit, I don't know how this fits in, but it's just popped into my head. It's against another technique I encourage people to do when they're designing, particularly in detail, is to visualize. Mm. So really visualize um, the event running or the exercise running. Um, because if we can visualize it, that, that is almost, well, it is, it's a, it's a mental practice, isn't it? And it's the next best thing to actually running it for real. Um, but often until we do run something for real, um, we don't know exactly how it's going to go. Mm, sure. Um, and some things work better than we think. Um, and some things fall flat when we were sure they were going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, we, we as, as in, a, in a career over time, we have the, the ability to, to, to see the long game in that. Mm. But if we're talking about one project, you know, design thinking really is about saying, well, let's build that into that one project. So we don't have to wait for 10 projects off the back of each other to have that learning. Yeah. 
Another place I used it uh, more recently uh, has been with the uh, deck of cards that I'm designing at the moment, which are a learning design aid. Uh, and uh, One day our listeners may actually get to yes, see them, Terry. Yes. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's been really interesting because it's taken a while because I'm kind of doing this properly in a way. Yes, I'm, I'm doing yeah. a lot of prototyping, testing, doing, and, and you know, with, the, with the prototyping, for instance, just... Uh, really making sure that I'm not getting too precious about it. Cause I could be, I can be very focused on making things aesthetically pleasing. Yes. I, I sometimes fall into that trap, but you know, one of the principles here is don't worry about it. The key thing with prototyping is to see how it works or doesn't. Um, yes. So the more we get hung up on making it look perfect, the less likely it is that we'll be willing to tear it up and start again, which sometimes we need to do. Yeah. And I'm on the kind of third version of those cards now, third kind of redesign, uh, of of the kind of look and feel and, and layout and things like that because of some of that prototyping testing and it's been really really valuable. Yeah, yeah, it's, and I think like say so you you haven't got um, a deadline to release those cards, so you mm. you can go through this process properly. Mm. Um, but I mean, some t- uh, at the risk of going off track a little bit, um, it's reminded me of my um, program that I've been I did with the VIP members of the Train Designers Club, so designing for digital delivery. Um, had an idea you know popped it out there um prototyped it really with those vips spotted ways to improve it um so now i'm actually running the second version of that which is much more robust um but again it's not perfect so again i'm going to go back i'm going to revisit it um before i launch it for a third time and every iteration is going to be different to the last and it's partly because of you know the learning for the program but it's also partly because going back to the empathize the needs of the people attending that course are changing. You know, as we get more confident in the virtual world, we're starting from different places. So, I mean, that's, I guess it's all part of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that fits, again, that's the thing about this kind of area. I think there's so many different concepts that kind of all uh, dovetail with each other because they're all cut of the same cloth. They're all about Mm -hmm. thinking in a certain way. So, you know, there's that, there's that phrase, which I love, uh, done is better than perfect. I think that's yeah. part of what you're talking about there. Kudos think, to Sharon Gaskin for that one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's the idea of a minimum viable product, which is a yes. huge design thing as well. So, you know, again, that, that fits. Don't try and have the best final product ever. Just have the minimum viable one that you can then take to prototyping and perhaps, perhaps even to release yep. and then update it. But I think you know, it's, it's important to me to have some sort of deadline. Um, otherwise, I would tinker forever mm, yeah um so uh, so yeah so so you have to give us a deadline for those cards terry <laughs> well yeah let us know when yeah. they're coming out i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so um so it's a couple of really good examples there and some some non D ones as well and again it's because design thinking is such a huge um i don't know title it covers such an array of things doesn't it mm. It chances are people are doing some element of design thinking, even if they don't realize it. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying is, is, is it's almost like let's make it a conscious thing rather than just something that we do by accident. Yeah, I think so. If you, uh, you know, if, if you've got a consciousness of it anyway, then you can see which bits of it you're doing well and which bits of it you could perhaps do more of. Mm. So um, is it appropriate to ask now what about your sort of practical tips if people do want to take a more conscious approach to design thinking, what would you recommend we do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to do that. And 
again, I, I don't want to get us hung up on uh, the idea of a process, but maybe using those five kind of areas, let's call them elements, mm-hmm. perhaps not steps, uh, might help us give, give some structure some, to some practical tips. And again, you could use this maybe as a little bit of a, almost like a self-inventory. Maybe you empathize really well, but perhaps you don't ideate that well or, or something like that. But yeah, I think, you know, design thinking is firstly then about empathizing. So I think, uh, you know, we've said it's not a process. Actually, I think that one being first is actually really important. That one before yeah. all the rest, because one of the biggest mistakes people make is they've got an idea. So they've yeah. gone straight to here's the idea. And then you get kind of invested in it sometimes. And if contrary evidence does come up that actually it's not going to work for these people it's easier to ignore that evidence so yeah. i think start with the empathy would be one my number one practical tip yeah and then that, so i was going to interrupt one, you now yeah, because, go, because, go. because quite um quite inadvertently um i'm looking now at these and thinking of you know, we all reach these conclusions so when i'm helping people with their training designers say start with why and then with who yeah. so what's the problem and who who has the problem Absolutely. and that's that's that isn't it yeah Although design thinking would kind of maybe say almost do it the other way, who, mm. who, who and then what is yeah. the problem. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, definitely uh, start there and yeah, you know, think of that word as well, empathy, not analyze, not look at the stats, you know, what are their sales stats versus where we need them to be, but rather, okay, how do they feel about this? What oh, are their brilliant. pain points? All that kind of stuff, really get into the empathy thing. Because there's, um, there's been a big move, hasn't there, to say big data, and we must use data. Mm. Um, and, and do you know what? That doesn't excite me. Um, you know, I'm not going to dis- disagree with anybody who say, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of value in that, um, but it doesn't excite me. But to really just think about the person who is yeah. trying to do something means more to me i think absolutely i mean i'm not saying don't use data but definitely Mm. just focusing on data will be bad yeah um i think you know that's where uh, you talked about avatars or personas that's Mm. where they often come in so trying to build a picture i think is great at that stage i think some people struggle with that they say well if i build a picture of my ideal avatar or my ideal persona of a user then i'm necessarily kind of leaving some people out because not everyone's the same and mm-hmm. i think that's 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 valid yeah but at the same time i think you know it just helps us to build pictures so you can build more than one and you can keep in mind that you're not only going to design for that persona or that avatar but it does give you something to to kind of build on yeah it is it, we've got to be mindful of stereotyping but I, as you mm. say when i was writing a management development program for an industrial laundry um i had three very clear avatars in my heart in my mind i had the production supervisor i had the transport manager and i had a customer service manager um their jobs are very different but they're all going on the same program so it just kept thinking all the time you know, and i gave them all names um so you know well how would carol react to that and what would that look yeah. like for carol you know yeah. so and it, it really helped yeah really humanizing <laughs> the process absolutely yeah. i'll give one more slight non non-training design related uh, example for that because i think it's a great example which is that uh temple grandin i don't know if you've heard of her no so she's uh, a very famous designer of uh, systems and architecture for cattle in America. And one of the reasons that she's quite I famous... Why I've never heard of her. <laughs> well, one of the reasons she's slightly more famous is that she is autistic. And right. she, uh, you know, she, she overcame very negative perceptions of her as, uh, because of some of her difficulties in communication mm-hmm. to show that actually she was 
incredibly capable, very particularly in this area. And one of the reasons that she was, was she's almost like a little bit of a kind of cattle whisperer. She's yeah. kind of, she really can put, she's just got this ability. She can put herself in the shoes of the cattle. And she yeah. really, she looked at all these designs of this is the kind of, you know, fencing. This is how we're rooting the cattle when we're moving them from one place to another. And she just pointed out all the ways in which it was terrible from the cattle's point of view, in which it, all the ways that it made uh, the cattle feel really difficult and, uh, you know, get an obstruction, made the, the cattle be obstru- obstructive. Yeah. Um, and she redesigned it all and, you know, they saw the metrics, you know, how quickly they were able to do all of this. Uh, you know, they saw the difference and uh, she's, she's made uh, a lot of uh, fame and money out of it, but also made a lot of cattle a lot happier as well. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? So, so let's look at the system in, instead of the, the farmers mm. um, doing something to the cattle, it's the cattle doing something for the farmers. So complete flip. Yeah, the users empathise with the people who are actually going to be using what yeah. they design. Yeah. So again, bit moving away from chain design, but hopefully helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm probably trying to pace this so that we don't uh, <laughs> go totally over time. So I'll maybe move on to define <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of techniques which I'm sure a lot of learning designers will be familiar with, which can be good for problem definition. Um, things like root cause analysis. Uh, action yep. mapping, which I can, action mapping, which I come across slightly more recently, but I, I found really useful. Uh, I think it can be another way. But yeah, just you know, maybe you've got your own preferred way, but but really trying to bring out the problem definition and also trying to reframe it as usefully as possible. And again, that's I think where that how might we question really comes into its own. How yeah. might we improve? x for our people you know how how might we make sure that we always get the right person for the job if we're doing a recruitment skills course yeah no i mean i was introduced to that question quite recently and i thought that is such a simple question it's such a brilliant question Mm. um because it stops us from um sort of what's the word where we um we start to judge our own ideas um, too early. It, it stops us from doing that. Yeah, kind um, of censoring and, and yes, judging, censoring. Yeah. That's the yeah, word. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think that's a really good question. So it just gets all your ideas out, doesn't it? And then you can start to analyze them and and, yeah. and look at them in a bit more detail. Yeah, I, 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 I probably don't have too much more for that one, other than if we were going to go right into root cause analysis or action mapping or any of those things. But I think, yeah, using techniques huge and, and really reframing the question and making a question as yeah. much as possible until you've got something which the rest of your design time uh, can try and answer that question. Mm. So, uh, and the ideate phase, I, I guess, uh, is, is again one where a lot of learning designers and trainers will have a lot of insight and, and ways to do it already. I mean, that's where your classic brainstorming would come in. Although, I'm, as I'm sure you know, Sheridan, brainstorming often gets used and abused and not done very particularly well. So I'd mm. say if you're going to use brainstorming for ideating and for coming up with new ideas, try and make sure that it's, you know, really good practice stuff. Uh, and, and vary it up a little bit, I think. You know, any one way of doing it is probably going to have its own drawbacks. So whether it's people doing it solo and doing it in a group mm. or doing post-its or, uh, you know, all kinds of different ways to try and come up with uh, answers, uh, more structured ways. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's those lovely collaboration tools. There's so many popped up recently yeah. that really come into their own. So you've got things like um, Mural and Miro and, mm. and things like this that are designed especially for that collaboration. Yeah, mm. absolutely. 
and you know any creativity tools there as well anything that just takes you and and gets you out of your normal frame and set of assumptions does it a bit alternatively so a bit of drawing you know a yeah bit of building it out of lego you know whatever really gets you to think about it differently yeah using pictures yeah the prototyping i think is something where people possibly do uh from my experience of lnd need a little bit more help i think sometimes yeah. where we prototype we start to think a little bit about uh like i was saying earlier get, getting too far down the road of making it look nice uh and particular with lnd i think we have this thing where we think okay what we'll do is we'll do a pilot yeah and that'll be our way to test things out and that could be great but again design thinking is all about these nice little loops of iteration yeah yeah and in my experience a pilot is often okay i've spent three days designing this and now i'm going to take all of you and take your day's work and rob you of that and have you sit in a room for a day and give me feedback and at that point at the end of it and maybe with a couple of stakeholders who've also invested some of their kind yeah. of political capital into it as well very few people are going to want to see it torn up and go back to the drawing board mm. yeah and i think that is that was a, a bit of a learning point for me actually when um, i started to look into design thinking for myself is you know yes you know we do pilot events but like you say it, it's just a version of the finished thing and what what the the lecture i attended or you know, the webinar that i attended um, made me think about the fact that we, we should just take a part of it maybe or do do the same section, but do it in three completely different ways and say, well, what's hitting the audience better? What's bringing us the better results? Because it's easy to think about a prototype when you're thinking about a toothbrush, you know, <laughs> you can just make six of them and it's, it's not a, a huge cost. Um, but with, with training, I think we do seem to see it as, um, as a complete thing rather than, and again, I think the fact that we're all being a little bit more open to different technologies um, you know, means that we can perhaps try things in a different way and, and do things in a smaller scale um, that maybe we wouldn't have considered before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that, that is really the, the key to the prototyping phase is making it kind of low resolution, low fidelity, low effort, you know, because it's all about getting through it and not getting invested in it firstly, but then getting through it very quickly so you can do it a few times. Yeah. Uh, so again, I think sometimes maybe the practical tip there is almost less practical and more mindset, but the practical takeaway is, you know, just be aware, I guess, of when you're getting invested in something and try and test it and, and, and really, really even maybe go further, I think, than uh, being open to feedback and, and look for what's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just if I add in there as well is, is the other thing is to really manage expectations of the people who are involved in that mm. testing of the prototype. Because the number of times I've sent drafts over to clients and they said, oh, there's a typo here and that picture isn't aligned. And I'm like, that's not what we're looking at at this stage. Is the content right? Um, so I think we have to be really, really clear. You know, if we are testing a, a piece of e-learning or a, or a webinar, just saying, you know, it doesn't look as neat as it might do. It may feel a little bit clunky. We haven't done all that bit yet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, just, just let us know if we're covering the right things and if the way we're covering it is, is appealing to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if we go on to test, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's a lot of secrets really to test. It's about taking that prototype and like we've just almost been tipping into there, yeah. putting it in front of people, being open to that feedback and, and really adapting and ditching whatever uh, needs adapting or ditching. Definitely. Mm. 
And so we're probably quite good at that phase, but what we haven't done in the past is done the pilot before it. Mm, yeah. I think maybe one, just one last illustration actually that can might tie all those together is I think when we think of training and we think of kind of large scale interventions, it's, it's easy to, to slip into that not very agile, not very iterative kind of way of doing things. But I think any of us who have any experience of coaching or mentoring or designing anything for coaching or mentoring will have a really good experience of this because when you're doing coaching, you do this, you, you automatically, you, you iterate, you try things out, you think, oh, here's an idea. If I ask this question, will it, what response will it get? You try it out, you prototype it, oh, maybe it didn't, so I'll try a different version of that mm. question. You test it out, you've got feedback, and you go around in these little circles. And all the time, you're having to empathize uh, and think about how it's feeling for them, if you're going to be at all effective, and you're going to have to try and get the problems out there and clear if you're ever going to solve them. So I think we do yeah. this stuff if we're coaching or involved with coaching um, and we just need to remember that maybe. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of um, facilitators probably do that. I mean, you know, a lot of people do adapt on the fly, um, but do we capture that? Yeah. Um, do we actually sit down at the end of the session and say, I changed the way I was going to run that at the last minute and I did it because of this reason. Mm. Um, so it's, it is about capturing the learning sometimes and then sharing that learning. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. I think there's a lot of courses that where I've been involved in the delivery where it's changed over the course of, you know, delivering it across 10 groups, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, was that always captured? Perhaps not. Mm. So I think it's such a, it still feels like it's a massive topic to me. Um, and I am still pleased to think that it's not that I don't understand it. It's just that I do understand it. And I do, for the most part, um, follow those principles not always um, you know I'll be totally honest sometimes time pressures um, and resources available mean that we, we don't always do things in an ideal way but I am happy that overall I follow design thinking principles um, but it's, it's still huge isn't it so um, where where do we look for more because like you say that there's lots of different things out there what resources would you recommend mm, yeah there's loads I'll put a few in the show notes I mean some things in particular that I think might be useful for some of our listeners uh, there's a website called design thinking for educators so just from the name perfect. you can <laughs> stand in pretty perfect um, and they've got uh, an 80 page handbook pdf that you can download and it's really good uh, it's it's kind of aimed at people designing for education as in for children yeah. uh, but it's all really applicable for much wider and um, it's done really well it's got another version of that, you know, a quite, a quite different version of that five stages, actually, just if you want another perspective mm -hmm. on that as well. Um, so that handbook I'd recommend. There's a kind of online magazine called The Startup, uh, which has a great uh, design thinking playbook. Uh, and again, I'll link to that. That's got some really good uh, ideas about different ways of thinking of it and some really good explanations of the double diamond and the five step thing. And the UX Collective uh, Marion Bailey in particular, Bailey, I think, um, has a really, really good article, which I'll, I'll link to again. Um, it's about social innovation using design thinking, uh, but she just has a really amazing case study where she's taken the design thinking process through 
all these stages, taken photos of these massive walls of post-its at each stage and explained exactly how she's applied design thinking to this uh, problem of people getting people into employment in this case. Yeah. And again, although it's not specifically learning, just the way it's done, I think it, it, you know, it's, there's, there's no jump at all needed to think about how that could be used to design a learning course. Great. Uh, yeah, no, great. That's really, that's really insightful, Terry. Thank you very much. I'll definitely be checking out uh, some of those resources. And like I say, we can put the links in the show notes as well. Mm, so yeah. it's, um, if, if nothing else, I think it's worthwhile exploring just to you know, refresh our, ourselves and remind ourselves of good practice. And as we said right at the start of this episode, training design isn't about just following a process and turning a handle and, and, turn, you know, and, and delivering an outcome that there is some artistic and some creativity needed in that and some leaps have to be made um, alongside the structure and the robustness yeah definitely absolutely so i have been making notes um as we go as you can see uh, plenty of notes there as we go along but i'm just going to pick out four things i think that that you've talked about terry um and it's, it's, it's four groups of things really so some of the underlying principles of design thinking is that it's it's human-centered so it's human-centered design rather than process or um statistic centered so so and that kept coming through with your your empathy and um, it's about embracing failure and being prepared to fail and almost trying to fail or it's almost trying to work out a way that this won't work so that when we do come up with a solution um, we know that it's the best solution that it can be um, and you also talked about one of the principles being show, don't tell. So, you know, it, it's all in what can we actually deliver to people rather than um, talking a great talk and thinking great thoughts. It's, it is about, you know, what we actually deliver. So that was, the, they were the principles that you mentioned. Um, a couple of um, approaches to design thinking. You talked about the double diamond, which is one that appeals to me because it's so simple. Um, which is about having the divergent thinking um, and then the convergent thinking, and we go through that twice. Um, and then these lovely five stages um, to help us through. So it's not a strict process because, you know, the, the whole point is that it's quite a flexible tool that we can use. Um, but the empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test, and how we perhaps um, skip some of those phases completely or maybe just do the minimum that we can get away with on some of those. And perhaps we can explore those in a bit more detail. And then the last thing that I wrote down is, um, it's just something that really struck me as, as you were talking, is that design thinking is inextricably linked to evaluation and continuous improvement, which is something that we all buy into. Um, and we all think it's a good idea, but it tends to be a, an annual review or a biannual review. Let's have a look at the courses, check them up to date. Whereas design thinking is no, it's a continuous review mm. um, as we design and develop. And it's not necessarily that your, the previous version didn't work. It's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with it, but it, there's always an opportunity to improve. Um, so it's making sure that we are making the most of those opportunities. That sounds like a great summing up, Sheridan. Is that it? Um, I, I <laughs> Did I get so, it? I think so. Um, I was just looking at uh, my little notes of things that I wanted to mention, and actually, I just realised that there was one in particular that I wanted to get in there somewhere that I might just round us off with, actually, and it's a quote. Mm. Um, so this is from the architect Frank Lloyd Wright, and he says, you can use an eraser on the drafting table or a sledgehammer on the construction site. Absolutely. 
which is why bring about why I am so passionate that people spend proper time in the design phase rather than just having a vague plan and going into delivery mode. And I know Excellent. you're with me on that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 I think we're on the same page for sure. I think we are. <laughs> Good. So I think we've put design thinking to bed at least as far as we can in one podcast episode. What was your smaller topic, Sheridan? Well, it's really interesting because a couple of things that you um, that you mentioned um, are kind of linking to this. As you know, I am a member of more than one um, group. I've got my own group, the Training Designers Club, and I'm a member of other of similar groups as well. And I've noticed not a few weeks ago there were a lot of posts about can somebody please tell me. Um, the best programs to use for designing training. And this coincided with me seeing posts on LinkedIn where we talk about the, um, I've actually written it down here so that I get it all right because things do get confused in my mind. So things like the UX, the ILT, the LMS, and all of these little three-word acronyms um, that people have suddenly started using in relation to training design. And, and, I, I just think sometimes, and it links really nicely to this episode, that are we losing what training design is all about? Um, because, for, and, and I found an amazing quote, um, and I'll, I'll look up who it was. Um, and he said, um, computers are to design what microwaves are to cooking. Mm. And I fell in love with that quote, and I put it on LinkedIn, and it had so many likes and so many comments. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who do work in L&D, you know, so it's a credible role and all the rest of it. But to my mind, they're programmers, they're, they're techies. They just happen to work in L&D. Um, it, you know, it's all about getting content into platforms. And, you know, maybe I'm purist, maybe I'm a snob, I don't know. But if you're putting content into platforms, that's not about designing training. And it, it comes back to what you said before about making things look pretty. Um, ju just for the sake of it, that's, that's not where our focus should be. Um, so all these, and, and, you know, as we've gone into virtual as well, everyone was suddenly, I need to use this app. I need to use the other app. And it's like, why, why do you need to do that? Because training has always, always been, it should be anyway, by people and for people, mm. your computer, your app, your LMS and all these other things, um, are just vehicles to help us mm. deliver that learning experience they are no substitute for the the fundamental creativity that we need to put into it i don't know what your view is well i just take a pause from my rant because i have to <laughs> <laughs> no no it's good the, the, it's interesting i agree with you in terms of how it is often played out uh this the the saying that came to mind for me there as you were talking was if all you have is a hammer then every problem seems to be a nail. Yes. Uh, and I think that's quite true. And I think that what might be happening a lot of the time in the cases that you're talking about is people have this hammer, whether it's their, you know, their LMS or their, their specific kind of way of doing things, their engine is another one. And they're trying to just fit everything into that. Um, and I think they're, you know, that's bad principles, bad order of doing things, and it's going to create bad results. On the other hand, I would be just a little tiny bit careful of, throwing the baby out with the bathwater um, because I think, you know, a lot of the time when we're talking about things like, you know, just to take UX, for example, 
you know, user, I hate that. I hate that with a passion. <laughs> user, user experience. Why can't you say user experience, Terry? Well, <laughs> They're not you, particularly difficult words. Well, <laughs> if that's this field you work in, though, I mean, you're coming at it from, from someone who that's kind of slightly peripheral or new to their field. Yeah. The field you work in, then, you know, you're not going to say it out loud every single time you mention it. Um, so I think if, 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 if that's being used properly and well and is an integral part and uh, that has no more than its share its proper share of the importance then i think mm. it's great but yeah i think when it when it overtakes things that's a problem yeah and uh, now I, I do take that on board because as i was thinking about this because it does it does pop up every now and then and sometimes i let it go and sometimes it gets on my nerves um it's like doctors talking medical talk mm. um talk medical talk to each other when they are the only ones in the room but when they're talking to a patient or relatives or to ad- admin staff that they shouldn't be using that language Mm. Um, and I think that's where sometimes I get a little bit annoyed because the, when these acronyms and this language is used um, outside of that immediate community, mm. so when we have got end users and learners and managers, um, I, I just think it's it's very alienating and it, it's almost, I get the feeling, it's why are we, why are we using that language? Is it to try and make it look more complicated or more techy than it actually is? Is it because we're a little bit embarrassed that it can't be measured as purely as some other aspects of the business? So we can't measure it in the pure way that we can measure finance, for example, or production or sales. Doesn't mean to say it's any less valid. Um, mm. You know, we, we don't put marketing under the exact same, we don't measure them the same way as we measure, um, you know, production. Yeah. So, it is it, it is a personal thing i know it is um but i don't know i just think you know be sure of your audience so as with any jargon and any technical talk be sure of your audience and only use it where it's appropriate please yeah no i go with that and i, and I think to go back to the other part of what you said about uh people you know using what they've got rather than thinking about the problem i mean that goes back to design thinking you know if they're thinking well in terms of design thinking then they'll be empathizing and getting a good definition of the problem rather than focusing on here's what I've got. Here's my idea. Yeah. And you know, that happens a lot. You see that a lot when a company has invested a heck of a mm. lot of money in a, in a shiny new LMS yeah. and they want to put everything on it um, rather than think, you know, rather than looking at it the other way. Um, it's Cause not everything is going to work well in that format, is it? But yeah. because they need to get their money's worth, um, and it does t- kind of take the shine off it because certain things can be covered very well on the LMS and some things are, are just going to be awful. Um, yeah. And then that drags everything down. Yeah. So uh, got a little bit off tangent there. No, it's so good. I wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I think that's, that's what our mini topic is for really, isn't it? <laughs> I think it is. I think it's just a, it's a, yeah, just something to think about uh, our thoughts of the week. Fantastic. So... So if anyone wants to get in touch with us, they can do it in the usual ways, which is firstly, in terms of the Facebook group, that'd be fantastic to hear what you thought about everything that we discussed today. Do you agree? Do you have some really good examples of where it's worked for you? Do you have some challenges of how it could work better for you? Then tell us on the Facebook group, or you can contact me via LinkedIn or via uh, my website, untoldplay.com, or you can contact Sheridan. Yep, same same place, uh, LinkedIn, um, unusual name, easy to find, or come and join me in the Training Designers Club. You can join our free Facebook group or become a fully paid up member with all the extra benefits that that brings. Brilliant. It's been great talking to you today, Sheridan. As always, Terry. 
Till next time. Okay, see you then. Bye. Yes. Bye.